1: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much
0: out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore.
2: Correct. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room podcast, presented by Blue Wire. Today, no Pete, but we do have a fresh off his vacation, um, looking extremely relaxed out of Hawaii, and me coming from the opposite coast. Um, So we're we're gonna hit on what we think is the is the most topical. Item, Darius, of the moment. And that is Austin Reeves getting off of an airplane of his own, but going to Las Vegas and getting his first ever Team USA jersey. And what a cool, special moment for Austin, who was undrafted, of course. You all know the story. And now, you know, he was considered to be enough of an impact player that Steve Kerr and the rest of the Team USA basketball staff were like, yeah, we want this dude. On the team, not some guys with more pedigree or more points per game or more specific starring roles uh, on a team. But they picked Austin. So, Darius, where's your head at uh, with one Austin Reeves getting his deal down with the Lakers and then going to play Team USA basketball? It's the summer of Austin and seeing him on podcasts. He's just been out there. He got a shoe
1: deal. We talked about him in the wake of him signing his contract, but I'm just so happy. For him, just as a person and as a player, like Austin is is one of those guys where last year and this year he's a second year player. But you listen to him talk and he has this maturity about him and this sense of self-assuredness that not a lot of players with his much experience have. Now, obviously, he was an older rookie, was in the transfer portal. And and so I I think what he spent five years in college.
2: Yeah, he had to sit out a year between Wichita State and Oklahoma when he transferred.
1: So he's got a maturity to him, right? But it's just like, even talking to my wife, my wife would be like, I like him. I like Austin Reeves. And I feel like that's a common
2: refrain amongst like just general fans. Yeah, not not, even on Twitter, right? Or sorry, I'm sorry, X, even on X, not a lot of Austin hate coming up. Like whether it's Laker fans or non-Laker fans, even some of the most renowned Laker haters are like, yeah, Austin Reed is pretty good. Like, I, I get it. It took a little bit, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so super happy for Austin. And, and to sort of piggyback on the point that you were making earlier, not even a guy who was in the pipeline before, right? Now, obviously, second year guy, there's, there's not a lot of runway to be in the pipeline, right? But to go from not even in the pipeline to being on the active roster, that's, well, no, that's a jump.
2: The pipeline starts, you know, in essence, right? It starts like in what is it under 12 or something, yeah. maybe even <laughs> a little bit younger. Sure. And whoever the top of the class is, and the it kind of coincides some with, with whoever the All Americans are that year. But, you know, I can, I'm sure we could both name a couple guys that we've heard of this summer, right? The kid from Maine and, um, Uh, I know, and uh, Anders' Pete, uh, Anders' Pete's younger brother uh, and Boozer's kids like these, like these are the pipeline of the top guys. And then but Austin was like, no, I don't need all that. And then he just parachuted in um, after basically leading the Lakers in net rating uh, in the postseason uh, when basketball really matters.
1: That's one of the reasons why that I wanted to talk about him is like so over the summer, Darvin Ham made a podcast appearance with Mark Stein and Chris Haynes. They did like a live pod out out in Las Vegas during summer league. And Darvin's great. I love Darvin and his candidness and, and just the level of realness that he sort of gives off as a person. He just seems like a good hang. Like if you're kicking it with Darvin have, like
2: it'd be fun watching a game with him or whatever. There's no doubt that that is accurate. You can ask many people around the NBA.
1: <laughs> so he's sitting there shooting the shit with Mark Stein and Chris Haynes. And he says, you know, like, Oh, Austin Reeves, Yeah. Like Austin's going to be an all-star soon. Right. Like that's like, that's what we envision of him. Like we're going to give him the ball more. We're going to do more for him. And now he's on the team USA roster and, and so i just sort of wanted to talk about austin and his trajectory as a player the idea of him being on team usa what his role might be how many minutes that he might get do you think he's going to be a deep reserve guy and then like all kinds of stuff related to that the benefits of, of playing for this team some of the drawbacks so Take that in any direction you want, Mike, but but I just sort of wanted to dive into Austin here.
2: Let's start with what we saw most recently, and that, of course, is playoff basketball. And you can include, if you want, Darius, you can include the month and a half that he began to start uh, once Westbrook got traded and, and once yeah. LeBron went out. LeBron, when LeBron went out, that was really when he got the ball a lot more because uh, it just was going to be harder to do. Um, they get deal- well, We know all that. We know all that. So in that segment of time, What was real, what can get better, what was maybe even a little bit ahead of what the pace was. And so 16 postseason games, 46% from the field, 44% from three, 90% from the free throw line. One of my favorite stats that doesn't get talked about as much is 4.6 assists to 1.6 turnovers. That is a fantastic assist to turnover ratio, especially for a player that is in some sometimes tricky spots with where he's getting to with trying to yeah. penetrate the defense. He's not some dude just out on the perimeter, kind of throwing an entry pass uh, to a post player, right? He's, he's drawing help and, and then making decisions. So, um, you know, plus 4.6, the points are right around 17. And to, to kind of kick this to you, Darius, what about that playoff run with him having the basketball as that secondary creator more often than not. And even sometimes third, you know, depending on what D was doing or if Dennis shooter had the ball more, how much of that is sustainable? Um, how about the shooting? Uh, what do you take out of the playoff run?
1: It's interesting to to project, right? Because there were games where, forget being secondary creator or third, he was the primary creator. Like, go back to the end of game one against the Grizzlies, and they're running Austin Reeves' ball screens. Delo's on the court, LeBron is on the court, AD is on the court, and obviously, they're leveraging AD's gravity As as a role man and and as a screener in those situations, but it's Austin Reeves who has the ball and is the primary decision maker and shot maker and shot taker. That idea of you can give this guy the ball, and the and and this speaks to the assist to turnover point that that you were making, and that he's gonna be a good decision maker and be someone who, as a shot creator, can combine like Mid-level to high usage with high efficiency; those guys are fairly rare, right? It's particularly like his ability to draw fouls, and that's where a lot of the efficiency gets gets baked into, right? And so, to me, Mike, it's like: is the shooting real? Because if the shooting is real, then the sky is the limit
2: for him because the mid-range and the pull-up three. Drawing free throws, too, we should obviously we should talk. I should have mentioned that stat initially, but that's a major part of his offensive bag.
1: Yeah, well, it's just like I don't have the stat in front of me, Mike, so maybe you can take a look at this. But how many free throws was he taking per game during the playoffs?
2: Playoffs was three three point six. And that was down a, a little bit right from that run where he was around to close the regular season when they were going to. It was like seven. Yes. Yeah.
1: So split the difference between those, Mike. And let's just say he's getting to the line five times a game. If he's going to be a high 80s or 90 percent free throw shooter, and if he's going to be a 38 to 40 percent three point shooter and he's going to be a 45 plus percent two point shooter, like his true shooting is going to be in the 60s. And as a guy who can then handle the ball and create out of pick and roll is a good passer and he has pretty much all of the passes in his bag as a pick and roll player, he can throw the lob, he can throw the pocket pass, he can throw the skip pass. You're talking about a complete offensive player who is then going to also compete defensively. How much of that is real? To me, it still goes back to the pull-up shooting. And so if he's going to be a mid-40s like pull-up shooter from the mid-range and be a I don't know, like 36 to 38 percent shooter on pull up jumpers from three, he's going to be an incredible offensive threat on any given possession. And so that's what I'm looking for from him. So I guess I'd pose that question to you. How real do you think the shooting is in general with him?
2: The shooting to me is one of the things that I would worry about the least, uh, honestly, uh, because I I just think that he's got he's very he's very comfortable um, at all of the levels. And I think that if there was any hesitation in his game before he was asked to do more and they needed him to do more, uh, it was that confidence—not to make the shot, but to actually just go up and take it in the first place. Yeah, and I think that is eviscerated after the success level that he had in the postseason. You know, against good defenses, against Memphis and then Golden State, uh, and certainly against Denver. And he was one of the few Lakers who sustained his uh, his run throughout uh, each series. Now he did he did have a period kind of end of the Grizzly series, start of the warrior series where he looked tired and then he just rallied. Like he kind of found his legs again. And that was the thing that I remember us talking about on, even on some of the pods where Austin really could use this offseason to get stronger, uh, to really steal his body to now know what it, what he is needed to do to get through the regular season and a potential playoff run, all of the hits that he takes uh, all of the, just the possessions that add up on defense because he's not a guy that just takes a lot of possessions off, you know, all, all of that. Like he's a, he's genuinely doing the things that are helping his team win. And that's, that takes a lot of effort. Like sticking your head in, in a place where you know, you might get an elbow. Like yeah. that's hard to keep doing over and over and over. And that's what Austin River uh, Austin Reeves really did a lot like throughout the regular season and throughout the postseason run. So the shooting, to get back to what your question was, the shooting I think is, that's something that I, I don't know that he's 42%, but that it's, it's right in that wheelhouse of what I always talk about where the defense has to get out to it. And if it doesn't, then he's going to make the shots. And so to me, it's more just about defensively because of the effort that he, that he puts in defensively, is he going to be able to continue to sustain that level of effort and energy as he's asked to do more on the offensive end? And this is where we've had these conversations about real stars like LeBron and AD. Yeah. And I'm always trying to point out we're, we're being critical of what this guy does on one side of the court. And we're not understanding how much it takes out of a player, not just physically, but mentally going in, knowing I have to be the one that's creating shots for people. And do you have to allow that at some point, maybe some of that does slip a little bit uh, yeah. just because it has to. And then what's the personnel around him going to be if it's also LeBron and AD? Like So what we're getting to for me is those other two spots. On the floor and the need to have those be defensive kind of energy type players. Uh, And so that's that's just what I want to introduce, I guess, as what I would think about for Austin moving forward.
1: That's always a side burner topic for me, Mike, when we're building out lineups and rotations. Right. It's not just putting your quote unquote five best players on the floor. Maybe in a closing unit, that's exactly what you want to do. But I think over the course of the game, you need to build out your lineups in ways where you have complementary skills and you're not necessarily putting too much usage on the floor or too much need of the ball on the floor in order to be effective. Um, That can always work, of course, in, in the modern NBA, where offense is the driver of almost everything. But Still, I'd love to have a bit more balance, particularly for LeBron and AD, and also for Austin, because the point that you were making, too, Mike, it's a point that cuts both ways because they will be leaning on him for more offense. And so that will impact his defense, seemingly. But Austin is also the type where his competitiveness is going to lead to him continuing to try hard on defense. Might have been on JJ Reddick's pod or. Maybe it was all the smoke pod, but he got asked about what it was like guarding Steph. And he's like, it was hell, (laughs) basically. Right. And he's like, people were saying you can't make a shot. And he's like, yeah, guess why? Like, I don't have any legs. I'm running around chasing Steph Curry the whole time. And that's a point that you've made countless times on the pod. But it's an important one for us to always remember within the context of, of Austin, too, who is who is a great athlete within the context of like the regular world. But as an NBA athlete, like a run and jump player, a quick twitch guy, he's not necessarily a guy who's going to get by on all of these athletic gifts, which which is what's going to help a guy defensively. I think
2: it's just, it's just such a key point to think about. Not just with Austin, is in I think you just summarized that well. I th- always think about AD in this context, uh, yeah. also where we're we're asking like if we don't see AD come out and just downhill attack, which of course everybody loves to see, then ah, uh, AD he's not bringing it today. Meanwhile, he just swatted his the fourth consecutive. Uh, you know, offensive player on the other end while taking away the rim and while switching out to the perimeter and just doing all of these things on defense that require a lot of energy. And then you're also, we're also wanting him to go to the basket every time. So it's just, it's not that when somebody shows you that they can do it, I get the understanding and the want to see them do it repeatedly. And that's just like to bring this kind of full circle back to Austin before we uh, take a break here. I agree with you that he's not—he's not the type of player who's going to willingly, ever, like, take things off and just not. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to rest on this possession. But I—I I just I'm talking about the maximizing whatever that if you've got a hundred points of effort and like not you know that that an increased level of that effort and that energy is going to come on the offensive end, then maybe you're just not the one that's going to be on Steph as much. And this is where we could start talking about D'Angelo Russell, who I still think should start, but at some point, that's what it's good to have a Gabe Vincent for, um, yeah. somebody that you do think you can you can at least get to to really devote that type of energy to the role playing, um, to the to the working really hard defensively, or the Max Christie uh, to yeah. to a different degree, right? In terms of the energy, the length, the defense, and because Austin is Austin is a made guy now, uh, that's all, and that's the way that I would finish this up. Like Austin has shown it. And he is now going to Team USA. I don't know. They have a a huge uh, kind of pack of backcourt players that they can depend on and that they can use. And it's Halliburton and Anthony Edwards and Jalen Brunson. So I'm not sure what role they're going to use him for, how many minutes. Uh, I I, to me, it would be a backup who kind of gets used in key spots, but is more likely to to, certainly to close than to start. I don't think he's going to start. And he may not. He may be one of the guys that's out of the immediate rotation. Like we'll see. He is the new guy. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, but I I think that ultimately, no matter what happens, it's going to just build upon uh, what he did in the postseason from a confidence standpoint, uh, going into the regular season.
1: So let's take a break here because these are the exact points I want to hit coming out on
0: the other side of this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So, I'm glad you steered it back to Austin and his uh, potential role here on a Team USA, Mike. Let's just go down the roster really quickly. Um, and so, this is in alphabetical order, right? And so, uh, they've got Paolo Banquero, Mikel Bridges, Jalen Brunson, guard, Anthony Edwards, guard, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, guard, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cam Johnson, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. And so, already, You could imagine Brunson, Edwards, and Halliburton getting a lot of the guard minutes, but Austin is right there in the mix to me as like a guy who should be getting minutes. Like you, like because those guys aren't going to be super taxed. That's not what Team USA does. They're they're not going to lean on guys for thirty five minutes a night in a forty minute game, and so I would imagine he's going to see some burn, even if it's not like to the level that he would be playing normally, but he should have a role here, right?
2: Yes. The short answer is yes. And, and the way that I would do it. Um, and I, I think that Steve Kerr is pretty good about these kind of things. And Austin is a Steve Kerr type of a player, by the way. Yes. So that's one thing to keep in mind. You heard him talk about it, Mike, after the series, he was like, Hey, there's Austin Reese kid. Yes. Because, because he's a guy that you like, you can, if you're a coach and you, you can trust Austin. You can trust him with a basketball. You can trust him from an effort and energy standpoint. So like, I think that it, I do think it's most likely Brunson and Edwards that start. Uh, and even if Halliburton is the best uh, point guard, like in terms of upside and ceiling, but like I just, Brunson seems like the guy is he's steady hand, you know, he's, he's 26, Halliburton's 23. Like I, I could see it going that way. Uh, even if maybe Halliburton closes some games, but, and then to me that, that fourth guard spot, because, uh, or I guess the sort of the three, four guard spots, Halliburton would be the third in that sense. Um, That's to me where Austin can come in and the player that would be, that would be included in that mix as well is Josh Hart, but Josh can scale bigger. Josh can play the three, you know, he can defend larger wings and he's certainly not the offensive player that Austin is. And to me, then when you you get down to it, you've got 12 guys, your 11th and 12th guys to me are Kessler and Portis. Um, And then Cam Johnson kind of mixed into that. Those are like your, your 10, 11, 12. Austin is in that that original mix, and it really just depends on what you do with Brandon Ingram. Do you play him as a three? You know, Do you start him at the three there? Because Jackson Jr. is starting at the five no matter what uh, for me. He's kind of the key to the whole team, honestly, uh, in yes. terms of the, being the Anthony Davis type who can basically handle the rim uh, and be the most athletic player in the front court that's going to be in this tournament. So and then Mikael Bridges would be plugged in there with Ingram as well, sort of as that three. Do You want to use him as the three because he could slide down. But point being, you know, I, I would see Austin as that as a sec, as a guard off the bench and just exchanging minutes sometimes, depending on what the matchup is. If you want to go bigger uh, with the Josh Hart or even a Mikhail Bridges and then, you know, his minutes could get cut down a little bit in that sense.
1: Sidebar here. So would you start Bridges and Ingram at the forward spots?
2: Short answer, yes, uh, you know, just because I, I don't like I'm not starting Portis. Uh, I'm not starting Cam Johnson in that spot. And it, it would it, it would come down to if I just want like a by the Apollo, I, I don't start him at least until unless he he could show me something. But like defensively, I don't sure. need the scoring as much from him. So, yeah, that would be that would be the group that I would go with. With Edwards and Brunson? Yes. Yep. So Brunson, Edwards, Bridges, Ingram, and Jaron Jackson Jr. And then I've got like Halliburton, Reeves, Hart, um, Paolo uh, at the backup four. And then just depending on a certain game, like do I need rim protection from a Kessler? Like fine. Do I want spacing from Bobby Portis? Do I just sure. want another wing with Cam Johnson? Uh, you know that that to me is the is the probably the best makeup of the team. If you're looking for a more classic you know type of a lineup, that's where I guess you could go with um you know with i can't start cam johnson i guess you could even start paulo with the four and then yeah have you know have um have like ingram, off the, bench? ingram off the bench but it's just tough yeah. to bring ingram off the bench i know this is where the b we could have a whole thing about bi and what you and i think he could be and hey yes. can you show us the defensive chops that you definitely have hey do you do you need to have the basketball creating all the time but let's we'll say we'll save that for a different pot
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th- because I really did want to have this Austin-centric conversation, but just the idea of Team USA, and we'll talk more about them like as they get into the game section. The World Cup doesn't start until closer to the end of August, although there will be some exhibition games coming up, even as early as um the seventh, I think, is uh, the first one, a showcase game against Puerto Rico, I believe. So these guys are going to get their chances. I think. And Austin has been a player, Mike, where every chance that he gets, he seemingly takes advantage of that chance in order to build up his name and to build up the respect that he has within the group that that he's playing with and the coaches that he's playing for. So I wanted to pivot a little bit here because the Team USA environment is renowned for sort of um, serving as an on-ramp for players to to, to sort of enhance their game and, and get them to a place where they're even more, more confident and, and feeling even better about their place in the league coming off of this experience. You talked about Austin's run to close the season, and so I feel like he's coming off probably this great vibe that he has, right? And now, that springboarding into the Team USA experience, which is then going to springboard him to his year three training camp. So talk to me some about where your mind is around just what this could mean for Austin as another um, growth point for him within his career.
2: Well, a comp that I was thinking about, and not just because of Team USA, but because of their respective roles as kind of the a third guy that had all of this talent, but I mentioned it earlier with Lamar Odom. And Lamar on that team had Kobe and Powell, and then he was able to fill in all kinds of different gaps uh, with what his skill set was. And it was playmaking, it was scoring, it was defending, it was allowing them to be "quote unquote" small, even though now Powell is like a, a big center <laughs> at yes. the time. It, he was starting at power <laughs> forward, and and Austin to me, like much different path from Lamar. Right where Lamar was this was this all world. Incredible talent coming out of high school and um, had had challenges here and there, but then came into the league and you know had made a mate, name for himself. But then gets traded to the Lakers, and um, all of a sudden he's put in a spot where they're well, we've got Andrew Bynum and Paul Gasol, and you know it, it doesn't make as much sense to start at the three next to those guys, even though they tried it in that Dallas series. And so he's he's kind of convinced to come off the bench, and now. Uh, But his minutes and his usage are probably somewhat similar to Austin in some ways and his playmaking with low turnovers. And so it's just a but the Team USA experience, I think, for Lamar was a a way that he was able to find confidence in a different way on his own. That wasn't just a part of what um, it had built up with the Lakers underneath Kobe Bryant as the leader. Um, As for Austin, it's underneath LeBron James as a leader, who are these unquestioned alphas. Uh, who there's never any reason to think that you should be better than or, or whatever that whatever that is. And that's the part that I'm kind of focusing on from an Austin Reeves perspective as to what does he learn about himself as a player? What what more does he gain from you know being included? I do think he's going to have some really good moments uh, with Team USA. Um, and even if it's not going to be in the same starting role uh, that he had. And that's again, that's also similar to Lamar where Lamar wasn't the guy on that team, but he ended up playing like a kind of a a critical role. And it just, it basically stamped what we had seen in the playoff runs with Lamar with the Lakers. And I think that this has the chance to do the same with Austin, where it just confirms all of the gains that he's made because he's going to be able to hang just fine. I think in this atmosphere,
1: I'm really hopeful for Austin to be able to use this as another springboard for his career. A lot of guys don't get this experience this early in their pro career. So Bancaro's coming off his Rookie of the Year season. Um, I remember AD got a chance very early in in his career to be on, I believe it was the 2012 um, Olympic team where where he was basically like a deep reserve big and didn't play a bunch but was around all of those players and and I think that that was a great opportunity for him but a lot of guys don't get this chance this young in their careers they are more more established players and if they are young they are the high pedigree guys right they are the guys who went number 1 or number 2 or top 5 picks within their draft and and um the guys who've been well known for their, for a very long, long time. And that is not Austin's situation at all. And so I can only imagine what it could do even more for his confidence and for his game and for his overall reputation to sort of be like, I can play in these games and I can hang with this group of guys because yeah. if if he is able to do that, Mike, it's going to help him a lot, I think.
2: All right, unless you have further Austin Team USA Thoughts, which by the way we can continue to talk about on the pod as he plays uh, for Team sure. USA. I want to I want to bounce around a little bit. Did you listen to the in season tournament pod that I, I did, did with Pete? Okay, good. Uh, do you have thoughts? Do you have takes? Uh, I've been I've been waiting because you've left this thought out of the thread. I think I'm more on Pete's
1: side than your side. Very early on, I want to see it. I'm not anti by any means. I want to see how quickly players adapt to this or if they or how quickly they adapt to this as it being sort of this prestige play for them right because that's like the thing about the play-in and this is something that um i'm not sure people who were against it saw very early on is that the the stakes for the play-in are very high It is an opportunity to get into the postseason. And while that didn't matter to a team like the Dallas Mavericks this last year, and they basically because they wanted to tank and keep their draft pick and this, this, that and the other, it did matter for a team like the Lakers, who were super thirsty to get into the postseason and then use that as a catapult to get them to make a deep playoff run.
2: So you, uh, as a lefty point guard, uh, but you probably played in a lot of tournaments, right? Uh, on In the offseason? Sure. Or whatever the equivalent of of AAU or what was your squad's name? Like your main squad that wasn't school? Oh, gee, I can't even remember. Okay, I so can't even remember. But so, well, whatever. East Bay Funk uh, <laughs> or something. And so to me... The the end of the season, there's usually a tournament at the end of the season uh, in no matter what you're playing in or there's there's a championship of some sort. And that's that's the main thing. That's the main goal. But along the way, in any youth sport, you're playing tournaments right now. I'm bouncing around weekend to weekend playing tournaments. And so to me, this is a I'm trying to think of a different point because I don't want I don't want to sell you anymore. I'm just I'm genuinely excited about it only in the sense that it's going to have a little bit more juice than the regular season games that we're going to have and certainly no less because they count. So if players aren't yeah. as into it and I, I could imagine somebody that's been around the league for a long time is just like, do I really have the bandwidth to try to care about this all over again? I get it from a LeBron standpoint, but the fact that all of the games are on the same night and yeah. so basically it's a tournament night. I just think it's going to feel for the players. It's going to in the NBA is going to make sure that they're yes. that the players because it's important to them. So there's going to be like this. We might hear about it from a schedule standpoint earlier than other games. Like we usually hear the Christmas leaks and I just think that's going to give it enough juice that I'll be a little bit more interested on that Tuesday in November than I would be just as a a general league pass hopper. And as that builds, then the history and the context and that this team has won three of them. This team's never won. The the Clippers have never even made it to the quarterfinals, you know, whatever Whatever the team is that might be, you know, the Kings have not have not advanced past the for X years. Right. And uh, and this team. But OKC, even though they don't have the most talent, they always advance whatever. So I just think that those storylines will give us a little bit something else. I just wanted to start it from the place of like you when you play in a tournament as a kid, even if it only the only thing you can get out of it is a medal for that weekend. It's better to win that medal than to not make it to the semifinal or the final. That's all. One
1: hundred percent. And I think that much like the All-Star game in the last five minutes of an All-Star game, the energy ramps up, right? Because the competitive juices kick in and all of these guys understand that even if there are, quote unquote, not as high stakes winning this thing at this particular moment, everyone wants to win at the end of the day. And everyone is going to go hard in that moment. The thing that I wanted to kick back to you is you know season starts in october right the regular season and these games are in november and then the first part of december if i'm not mistaken would you have liked this better if it was like january february um because those are the games like the beginning part of the season i feel like already has a certain amount of juice in it and I was just wondering if you ever envision this maybe shifting to a little bit later in the calendar where when we talk about the dog days of the season, Mike, we're often talking about January and February, that stretch like leading into the All-Star break rather than the November, December part where things are still really new and guys sort of have that punch. No one is out of it yet. There's like the games are normally pretty competitive anyway, and and so I, like I didn't hear you and Pete talk much about that point, but that was something that I was thinking about when all of this was announced.
2: So I was at the NBA broadcast meetings, which is just you know what you would expect—it's the producers, the play-by-play guys, the analysts, yep. the silent reporters, etc. And before last season uh, in New York, I guess it was Jersey technically, and they were they were getting into some of this this very question somebody asked it in the way that you did basically what's the reason for the timing you know why and I don't what I remember out of it was that it just they they wanted to protect the sanctity of as you get later in the season the build up to all-star the build up to the playoffs and uh, to not yeah. you know have it be this like a ramp up that would interfere with the typical ramp up but there would be something that like they wanted to have it done i think by the point where it didn't feel like it was a any kind of departure or distraction from that play-in push or that yeah. you know postseason seeding push, and I found that to be kind of an acceptable explanation. Um, your point is not lost on me, though. I I I could see it working in that way also, and you know we'll see. That's the I'm just trying to keep an open mind essentially about what the best things are. Um, yeah, can I can I hit you with a quick one other topic that I that Please. you were talking about with Pete? Completely completely different uh, and not organized. We you had the Vanderbilt pod and. I just wanted to to now kind of get in on the side of I like the lineup better um to, to get through the 82 regardless of what we think is going to happen in the postseason when things switch some with with a player of Vanderbilt's ilk um supporting yes. LeBron and AD from a defense, from an energy, from all of that standpoint. And I, I was the reason I want to bring it up in this context with you is that I talked about this with Austin a little bit also. And what is the fit for him in terms of backcourt partner? And. What is his fit going to be if we're asking him for more usage and like what Darvin mentioned, because LeBron's still going to be there and AD is still going to be there. So it can't be that much more usage, um, right, if those guys are on the court. And then is that going to lead to some stagger? So I'm just I'm wanting if we're going more offense for Austin, I'm just going to need even more defense with that starting uh, and Potentially the closing group, so I think Vanderbilt is is kind of a good bridge player there, um, in especially in the context of Rui and who else might be there. So I, I just wanted to give you a chance to to reiterate whatever the point was with Vanderbilt, and then in the context of Austin and and everybody else that's coming back.
1: Yeah, I just think that that Vando is a super important player to help protect. LeBron, particularly defensively, but also to help protect Austin and D'Lo, assuming that Austin and D'Lo are both the starters as well. Vando is a wing defensively. He is not a big defensively. And if LeBron and Vando are your two forwards, allowing LeBron to skew towards the less dangerous offensive player or even potentially the If the guy is a threat offensively, but he's like a bigger, stronger guy, that plays into LeBron's wheelhouse more defensively. Right. And so I want Vanderbilt to support them defensively, and I want him to be that lower usage connecting piece offensively. The guy who works off of the ball, the guy who sets screens, um, he can sure he can bring the ball up every now, now and then, and but flow into dribble handoffs, flow into situations where he is a finisher and not a shot creator because the starting lineup has enough. Of that and I think that in the playoffs where offensive possessions matter so much more I can see an argument for Rui to, to, to like be in that group more often or to like absorb some of Vando's minutes um, because every offensive possession matters so much in the postseason that you want to optimize those and having more offensive talent on the court makes sense but over the course of an 82 game season I want the usage diversity diversified a little bit more offensively and to me that trends more towards a player of Vando's ilk or even a player like Prince for for example but Prince isn't the same caliber defensive player and so I want I want that defensive support for that lineup much more than I care about like any of the drawbacks around offense or even to me like um continuity lineup stuff that you might have going into the postseason. It was good talking. I'm excited to see Austin play for Team USA. I'm excited to see how that could be a springboard for him into training camp and the regular season. But for now, that's it for this episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you later next time. James has got it in low to Mikhail. Mikhail wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Kips the magic. Worthy dies on Yeah, the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Lottie. Three seconds left. That next
2: to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places, are you kidding me? Kobe,
2: hard to believe. Are you kidding. kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Freddy pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the, the move.
0: Score. Two, one, missing. It. <laughs> victory It's over.